everything you need to know in order to succeed in marriage. From practical advice to current events, this is the EXO Podcast. Now here's your host, Brent Evans. Hey everybody, this is the EXO Podcast. We are talking to you every week about how to have a better relationship. We love coming to you and talking to you about marriage, life, love, and how you can be successful in all those areas. Uh, my father started this ministry 25 years ago, Marriage Today, and that's what puts on the EXO conferences and the EXO podcast. It's all brought to you by Marriage Today. And my father, Jimmy Evans, he has always had a strong vision for people having successful relationships. Mm-hmm. He's anointed in that area. Passion. He's, he's, it's his passion. He's been teaching and helping couples succeed for so many years. And uh, I'm sort of just trying to carry on that legacy here at the EXO podcast and the team here. That's what we're doing is sharing good content with you and helping you thrive in all your areas of life. So thanks for joining us. We love talking to you every week. Facebook Live audience, hello. We're coming back to you for another week of good quality content for you. And with me today is Caitlin Edwards and Ashley Greenwood. Hello. Thanks for having us. So we are going to Jacksonville, Florida this week. We're going to be there live. And uh, we're talking to folks there. Jefferson Bethke is going to be there. Mm -hmm. David Ashley Willis, Mm -hmm. Stovall Weems, and of course, Jimmy Evans. Jimmy Evans. The keynote speaker. The keynote the speaker. The best marriage uh, speaker there is. So if you're going to be in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, we'd love to have you there. And if you missed that, we're going to have three other tour stops this year. Houston, Texas, mm-hmm. uh, Rockford, Illinois, and Austin, Texas. And um, we obviously, we're based in Texas, so we have a lot of relationships here. This will be our third. And when we get to Austin, it'll be our third Texas EXO conference. Hey, Texas is a big state. But I was say, like four states Texas somewhere is else. huge. So Everything's so bigger in Texas. So we've got... Plenty of room for everybody to come and, and enjoy those conferences. And we have different speakers coming to everyone. Like in Austin, we have Tim Ross. Yeah. He'll be there. Mm-hmm. And he's not at all the tour stops. So it's mm-hmm. exciting to come and hear from many different people. We're coming to the East Coast now. So we've got Jacksonville. West Coast is definitely on our radar for 2019, maybe even 2018. So we're trying to reach people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are. And uh, the more we get out there, the more what we learn is everybody struggles in relationships, mm-hmm. but everybody wants to succeed. Mm-hmm. And we really do find that through our conferences, through the materials that people uh, experience, uh, people end up understanding that they are not alone mm-hmm. and they can succeed and people are uh, being transformed every day through the ministry and outreaches of marriage today. So today though on the podcast we'll be talking a little bit about, what are you going to deliver? What am I going to talk about? I want to talk about, well first of all, have either of you guys tried a subscription service for like meals coming to your house or anything like that? All I know we've subscription done. services. Yes. But all beauty related. I, I've wanted to do like fresh kitchen or something mm-hmm. like that. Sun basket, things like that. I've mm-hmm. been thinking about that this week and I ran across this article called Fighting Over Chores, Spend Some Money, Save the Marriage. And Ooh. this article was talking about how we're all so busy. We've got things going on with the kids, especially if you've got children in your life, your work, everything that's going on. Uh, Americans are under a lot of stress mm-hmm. and a lot of those daily things that we have to do every day aren't fun. Mm-hmm. And that la- that stress contributes to friction in relationships, mm-hmm. taking time away from more pleasant activities that increase happiness. So this article talked about a survey that was done that found that 25% of people who were divorced named disagreements about housework as the top reason for wow. getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. I so know meaning we, take out the trash, do the laundry, right, dishes. cooking, cleaning, doing those things around the home. We talk a lot about finance and money and, and things like that being a reason for divorce, but 25% of people, it's a good chunk mm-hmm. that are arguing day-to-day about housework. And so this study involved over 3,000 people in committed relationships across a variety of tests And it revealed that those who spent more money on time-saving services were more satisfied with their relationships, in part because they spent more quality time with their spouses. And so this article talks about 
that it might be worth budgeting or investing in some time-saving resources like meal kits that come to your door or a housekeeper that comes once a week, things like that to increase your well-being. Um, so, it, But it also mentioned that you can overdo it. So it wasn't talking about spending a ton of money. This isn't just for the incredibly wealthy. There's a law of diminishing mm-hmm. return. Exactly, exactly. They um, And there was actually a number that they found. They said you can overdo it. The study found that spending $100 on time-saving services a month, maximized satisfaction, but spending over 200 began to reduce it. Yeah. So it probably just disconnects you. You're like, oh, everything's easy right. in our life, and I don't need to put work on this. And if there's stress where money's concerned, that causes its own friction. But if you can do maybe one thing or budget in, find a way to budget into your life, one thing that's going to reduce the stress, mm-hmm. take some time that frees up your time mm-hmm. to be together, that it could really improve the quality of your relationships. So I'm really considering maybe doing, I love to cook, so I, I don't want to just eat out every meal, but having something come to my house where I could do that but save time is ideal for me. Mm-hmm. might be worth investing in. Yeah, that's good. I, at some point in time, we won't have to think, right? It's just Everything just shows up <laughs> at our doorstep. We just put it on the yeah. table. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we talked, I've said this many times before, but I used to remember phone numbers and I used to understand, you know, so many different things and facts and now... Mm-hmm. And, and even like mm-hmm. driving around the city, I used to know street names and where to go. And now I just rely on Google Maps mm-hmm. or Google totally. for information. Or Starbucks. I just order on my phone. I don't talk to the barista. Exactly. Maybe I'll get my groceries online. Like I can avoid human and connection. I will say, mm-hmm. I know Amazon is under a lot of scrutiny right mm-hmm. now, but they're awesome. Mm-hmm. And I, what I used to have to drive to like Target mm-hmm. for, for even just like household items, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. I'm ordering on Amazon now and it shows up sometimes same day mm-hmm. and I'm like, why wouldn't I? And I sometimes you're saving so much more money because if I go to Target for batteries, I'm going to walk out with $60 right, an outfit extra. and a pair of shoes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I have twin babies and I cannot tell you the last time I loaded them up in the car just to get something from the store, like, you know, cleaner or paper towels. That stuff comes to my door because it's really hard to get out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The brick and mortar companies that are listening, I'm sorry, but oh, I still sorry. go, I still enjoy, but it's yeah. just changing. Mm-hmm. Everything's changing. And it does make though, like for my wife and I, we have three kids. And so it does make it easier if you don't have to load up mm-hmm. the kids and go somewhere. Mm-hmm. If things are arriving, we tried plated. Um, and mm-hmm. I think you just kind of have to find what you're, uh, we, did, we didn't like mm-hmm. it. Sorry, please. Perfect <laughs> opportunity for a future sponsor. But, I know. Like, yeah. Yeah. Talk to us. I would love to test it. Uh-huh. We would love to test it. But I was, uh, we were just kind of trying to find some new things because when you're in that season of life where you're trying to figure out meals every night, which is a whole other podcast episode. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're out there and the conversation about dinner is like it is at our house. Yes. But it's, it is a daily, I wouldn't say it's a fight. It's just a daily, yeah. like, grind. Mm-hmm. Everyone like, has to do it. And unless you've planned mm-hmm. all this out... You have to come up with an idea every night. Yeah. Or please as everyone didn't have to do people. it. You have to please five people. Mm-hmm. And even if you give in to whatever, um, I, we have one child that's so picky, he won't eat anything interesting. Mm-hmm. It's got to be like chicken nuggets or you know pizza, mm-hmm. cheese pizza. And, um, and so you have to figure out how to please everybody. But these services that come and they give you the options of you know when it arrives, mm-hmm. what it is, mm-hmm. and you can just easily mm-hmm. put it in the oven uh, it's great. And then other, there's other subscription services out yeah. there, like the cleaning services and stuff. You can't automate your entire life, but if there's one area that you're really struggling in that you could find a way to budget mm-hmm. to make that life easier, it might improve your quality of life and subsequently your marriage. Yeah. And I, I think That's also great. invest in that time. So if you are doing a box service for your meal, go ahead and like make sure that you do have dinner together as mm-hmm. a family and have conversation about what your day looked like and what your difficulties are because that's how a lot of people lose connection you know growing up we had dinner on the table like every night but mm-hmm. realistically i don't even know how people do that 
that with children now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but just having that community table relationship is really so important for families. Mm-hmm. Totally. That's good. So we're going to be talking uh, today about Jefferson Bethke and his session. He's going to be at the Jacksonville, Florida event, Exo Jacksonville. And uh, he did a great session at the Exo Conference in Southlake, Texas this year. We're going to be showing that to you. Again, these are for our partners. We send them the full sessions mm-hmm. uh, that the partners have access to. But these sessions you're about to watch are just a extended cut, extended cut mm-hmm. of those sessions. So we're giving you a, a sneak peek into that. Uh, Jefferson and his wife have an amazing marriage ministry out of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a great place to have a marriage ministry. Mm-hmm. And him and his wife, Alyssa, have many books out there, but you can check them out. Uh, at their website, jeffandalyssa.com. But watch this clip. We'll be right back. We'll be talking to you a little bit more about how to have a relationship that is successful. We take some questions as well. So stick around. We'll be right back. If I'm honest, this was shocking to me, right? I started walking with the Lord at 1920. Um, and I started kind of, uh, and then started dating my wife at 21. And this is not the picture I heard of marriage, right? I was raised in a broken home um, with a single mom, uh, just had a pretty rough upbringing, prodigal son testimony, all these different things. So I was left to piece it together from film and culture and maybe other friendships and relationships and marriages I saw on TV or even in my own life. And that was not the conclusion I came to of what I just mentioned there about what God's marriage uh, and what God's vision and heart for marriage is. And so what is that? Because again, according to the story of marriage, his central plan for filling and populating and colonizing the earth with image bearers is through marriage and family to perpetuate his blessing. Now, again, this was a collision for me because I grew up in a very, 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 very far away land called Seattle. Maybe you've heard of it. It's where families and children go to die pretty much, right? It's where there actually is statistically more dogs than there is kids and families, right? And you see billboards about being pro-life in regards to dogs and pets, but not actually babies, which is sad. So for me, again, it's very hard to be in that place and see a picture of what it means to have a multi-generational legacy laid out in front of me. And so I was left to piece it together. And I think what I pieced together, honestly, seems to be kind of these two truths, I think, that um, are the lesser stories that I mentioned earlier that I think we all find ourselves living in in some form and a lot of times fully submitting to without even realizing it. And the first one is a lot of us don't believe the story I just told a few minutes ago, but a lot of us believe marriage is for nothing more than, number one, personal fulfillment. And number two, the way I like to say it, is kind of a springboard for the success of the individual. What do I mean by that? A lot of us see marriage as nothing more than what? A vehicle for your personal fulfillment. It is an institution to make you happier, to make your life better, to maybe give you a safer, more secure place, right? To make you feel good about your life. And the minute that that starts to break down and you're unfulfilled and you're unhappy, well, then there must be something wrong with that institution. Bye. Right? You divorce, you break up, you move on because it, the reason in the story you were living just broke down. So there must be something wrong. And so you move on. Or the second one, the springboard for the individual. This is very obvious to see in the Western culture where I think we are hyper individualistic more than any culture who has ever lived. And for us, any communal institutions, whether it's church, whether it's marriage, whether sometimes it's even work or whatever it is, we see that as nothing more than the springboard for the success of us as an individual, right? Like, sure, this can make us happy and safe and secure, but all this is is just a a launch pad for my dreams, for my visions, to get me just a little bit farther in life. Sadly, we see this in a lot of husbands and dads sometimes, right? Where they live what they consider the vision and calling God's given on their life, and their family and their wife is just dying, in their wake. It's even worse when it's ministry, by the way, right? 
You have pastors who are leading thousands and the, the family's just squandering at home, right? If it's not a team vision, it's not from the Lord, if you are a team. Now, if you're single and you're doing your thing and you're not married and you don't have kids and God wants to give you a single calling, which is meaning you can just kind of run with whatever he tells you, go ahead. But God doesn't give single callings to married men with kids. And so that means if it's a married man with kids, it's a team decision. Now, are you the leader? Yes, you are, right? Now, is there, but there is a team aspect of if you're making a decision that's going to make everyone else sink, probably not the best decision. Probably not the best decision. And so, so many of us, we believe these lies and we sit in these truths and we don't realize this is the story we're living in. This is the place we're living in. So I want to kind of illustrate this hopefully in a few different ways because I started to unpack this and realize, man, this is the story I believe a lot of times. This is the, 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 the narrative that plays out in my marriage over and over again. But where did this come from? How long has this been around? And when you actually trace it back, it's really interesting. It has not been around this long. Both of those stories I just said, the number one and number two, both of those can be traced to about an 80 or 100 year lifespan, which meaning those truths, those stories have only been being told for about 100 years with us living in them. All societies, all religions before that didn't really see marriage like that across all religions and didn't really see the individual like that in some sense as well. And so when I realized it was that young, that sounds a lot like an experiment to me. How are we doing in this experiment? Last time I checked, we're pretty much the most fractured, divided, divorced, broken home generation, culture, country I've ever seen in the history of the world. Anyone else? That sounds like a failed experiment. Can we agree to that? Okay, cool. Moving on. Um, Appreciate the consensus. So what can we do about that though, right? And and, and I want to kind of trace this just hopefully that it's helpful for you guys. And so I want to kind of um, trace a couple dates. I've never used a smart board before. I went to public school, so this can get really interesting. Okay. Um, I think I tap it and I think something happens. And there's two dates I want to throw out that we can kind of trace this back. First one's 1901. Second one's 1945. Does anyone, this one's more obscure. You guys will probably get this one. Does anyone know why 1901 is important? If you get this, you're amazing. What happened in 1901, this is the first year that a vehicle was manufactured and produced via the assembly line model. So I kind of call this the finish line of the Industrial Revolution. What I mean by that is the Industrial Revolution started in the early 1800s, but I think it reached its mass efficiency at the beginning and the turn of this century um, with the automobile industry. And I don't think we realize the actual ramifications that had on marriages, families, and culture at large. In fact, I don't think we've realized what the industrial revolution and kind of the assembly line model has done to our entire, like not just work, but every industry and every domain, right? I think we assembly, we have assembly lined work and our marriages and our families. I mean, education for sure, right? And assembly line in the sense of we now see everything as trying to squeeze the most amount of resources out of it and push it down the assembly line for mass efficiency of just making one person have one job of screw that nut, screw that nut, tighten that bolt, tighten that bolt for eight hours and just shove the thing down there. I mean, that sounds like our education system, doesn't it? Right? I mean, kids are literally just shoved down an assembly line And we divide them by years because heaven forbid that a 14-year-old could learn from a 12-year-old. Oh my goodness, don't put them together, right? And so we shove them down this assembly line and we have these teachers that are in very difficult positions because their job over and over again, year after year, is just to screw the bolt, screw the bolt, screw the bolt. Shove them down the assembly line, shove in the subjects, and hopefully, maybe they graduate at the end. And some people don't fit that model. And if you don't fit that model, they usually give you this uh, um, condition called ADHD and they put Ritalin down your throat. Was I the only one or a little too vulnerable? Okay, um... 
And so if you don't fit the model, you get kicked out of the model. And I think what's interesting about this is this started to actually affect families and marriages. And what I mean by this is this was also what we can trace back to a huge shift in how families and marriages were organized. Before this, before the Industrial Revolution, almost every marriage and every family was kind of living in a dynamic of an agrarian society, thinking more agricultural, um, farming, or even thinking the trade craft realm, right? Like you were a shoemaker and your great, 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 great grandpa was what also? a shoemaker, right? And there was this legacy and this lineage that was passed down over time of people honing crafts, passing down resources and skills for the blessing of the family. And then all of a sudden you get this model where it's all about factories now, no longer honing skills, no longer honing crafts. Everyone, and and actually you actually start to divide the family because in the agrarian society or the trade craft society, you got husband and wife working in the field together. You got kids coming along and helping out too, right? But no, 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 let's, let's, for mass efficiency, let's just rip the dad out of there. Let's make him go to a place for 10 hours a day, right? Let's have the kids go over here for this arithmetic and this and that. And we just divide and conquer. Now, I'm not saying that's inherently wrong. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is we have to understand the water we're swimming in. Does that make sense? We have to understand the water we're swimming in. So that's the first thing we can trace it to is there was a huge shift in how we started to divide, divide and fracture families, that was compared to thousands of years, very, very different before that. The next one, this one makes sense a little bit later, but um, 1945, what ended that year? World War II to 1960. So about a decade and a half from the end of the war to 1960, economists consider this the greatest economic decade and a half growth in the history of America, right? This is also what we kind of um, consider responsible, the the era for the creation of the large middle class where everyone is basically fairly affluent and fairly just a little bit more of head, a little bit more of head um, in prosperity than any generation before. There was a level of wealth and prosperity that entered about this time that we are still living in today that comparably had never really been around um, before. And that one will make sense in a second when I uh, break it down a little bit more, but essentially... What this started to do is change family dynamics drastically over about a slow hundred year period from what I kind of consider um, these two models. I'll call this one the classical model of family, and I'll call this one the Western model of family. This thing's working out pretty nice. I like it. Um, if you can't tell I'm left-handed though, and that handwriting is junk. Anyone else? Okay. And I'm also, I tried to practice on this thing earlier and anyone got the problem where you get like the pencil on the side of your hand. So it's, yeah, awkward. Anyways. Okay. Um, now, honestly, there was a way that family was generically, because of course there's always exceptions, generically organized across religions, across regions, and across even times, um, and how family was organized, but there was a drastic shift the last hundred years in regards to like very much living in an experiment that's very much different than anything we've seen before. And it really comes down to how we are organizing the marriages and the families in society. And a better, way to, a better way to do this is the way we see the Western family, it's almost like this. We almost kind of consider the Western family is any time a mom and a dad get together, right? So you got a mom, you got a dad. Now in the Western family, I kind of consider this an 80-year memory, and that'll make sense in a second. And so in this model, any time a mom and a dad get together, they form a new family, right? And then bink, hit the reset button. This is the new family. Now it's their opportunity to be a new family in culture, in society. And so then they create this loving, safe, secure environment of belonging for their kids and they end up having children. 
got kid one, kid two. That's the typical proto-American family, by the way, right? It's like people have five kids today and people act like that's ginormous when that was the smallest family ever in 1800. Moving on. Anyways, okay. It's like you go into a restaurant, like you see those, like everyone acts like people with four or five kids are like the biggest burden ever. I'm like, bro, you're killing me. Anyways, um, so you got kid one, kid two, and then all of a sudden these kids grow up and what happens? Then all of a sudden they meet someone, they fall in love, and all of a sudden they turn into the new mom and the new dad. And when that happens in this culture, bink, hit the reset button, new family. And that usually means that, right? And so we go through this kind of this perpetual resetting of starting over, starting over, starting over, and just continually hitting the reset button every time a mom and a dad get together and they make a new family. Now, this is very, very, very different from the way classical models of family have been structured and have been organized because, and by the way, this is what I meant with the 80 year memory thing. Like it's, this is the, this model is the reason why almost no one in this room can even name their great grandparents name. And if you can, you are an amazing and exception to the rule. I can't even name, I've, I mean, I've had four grandparents, right? Doesn't everyone have to, I guess, biologically. Um, I can't name even one of, one of my grandparents because we live in this model that resets, sends them out and deletes the past. Right? It never builds on legacy. It never has a long vision. It's never multi-generational. Classical family, on the other hand, I would almost see more like links in a chain or bricks on top of each other. Right? And so classical models of the family look a lot more like this, where it's very much a hard line that is continually built on one another. And the job of the family here is not the individual success of every single member and to send them out into their well-being, but is actually ultimately about the next generations coming after you. Your job in the classical model is to build up wealth and resources and cattle and land and hopefully be just a little bit farther ahead than your generation left you and then pass the baton and leave that to your kids. This whole thing, back to the shoemakers, is all about passing the baton of legacy and last name. There's no baton passing here, right? There's no actual legacy or multi-generational way of thinking it, about it. And that's why this way has more of like what I call a thousand-year memory. It's why if you were to go to any Jewish person on earth right now, literally anywhere, anywhere, and say, who's your great, 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 granddad, who would it be? And it was the best song ever to sing right before I came out too. Who would it be? They'd all say Abraham. Everyone. That's crazy. Have you ever thought about that? They have this shared, distilled lineage that is beautiful that gives them their multi-generational legacy because they continually build on each other. Now, the prosperity one makes sense now in this setting because you can really only do this, this model over here, when you're living in crazy, abundant prosperity, right? Because back, back then, you try, to do, you try to hit the reset button every gener- generation, not to be morbid, but everyone dies. Simple as that. Every generation, you sell the land, you sell the cattle, you sell the house, and you say, have fun, son and daughter, start over. They die and probably get the bubonic plague. (laughs) Right? But it seems to me, it's funny too, like we almost, we almost weirdly in our culture honor that, do we not? You got to give your kids a chance to do it on their own. Now, of course, I'm not saying we baby our kids, But what I am saying is I do think we need to have a multi-generational vision for our family. Here's a better way to put it. We need to have visions that outlast us. We need to have visions that will still be around when we die. So many of us, we don't live for that legacy. Think about 
Think about Abraham again. One of the biggest promises that is so particular to his story was pretty much the founding, right, of Israel as a nation. He was a father of the entire nation. And why? Because God promised him and said, you will be a father and your descendants will be like the sand. He said, you have so many descendants and I'm going to bless you so greatly that it'll be like the sand on the seashore. Think about like, but here's what's crazy about that vision. Sure, he had some, some kids, but did he even come close to seeing his descendants as the sand? No. His vision way outlasted him, right? The vision that God gave him. He died before pretty much any of it happened. Maybe like 0.0002% of that vision happened. But it seems to me like that was a success, that he lived in faith and that he trusted God was going to take care of that multi-generational vision, right? And now you can even think about too, by the way, like we, we rarely see this model today because we're so stuck in this, but because it's so rare, it also makes people even more powerful in a sense outside of a spiritual thing. Um, you know, I think of families who still like currently, like I would say the Kennedys would be in this model, right? Political dynasties, political legacy. I would say, you know, um, hundred or so years ago, the Rockefellers would be in this, this, this line, right? In regards to how they actually build a multi-generational vision. And now the interesting thing is, sure, where the Kennedys built a political dynasty, where the Rockefellers built a business dynasty, that's not our job. By the gospel, with the good news, we are all called in this room to build a spiritual dynasty, to have one that outlives us, that we actually set up our future generations and our kids, 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 kids to love Jesus well. That's what we need to set them up for. But so many of us don't actually think with that in mind. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that clip from Jefferson Bethke. Jefferson does a great job of communicating why it's important to be understanding how you're a part of a greater story and the lineage factor related to marriage and family. And uh, we just love that he's a part of the EXO conference. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can see him live in Jacksonville, Florida. We mentioned that earlier. But come see us in Jacksonville, Florida at the EXO event next next weekend, uh, April 14th there live. So thank you for being a part. Facebook audience, hello again. We're going to answer some questions from you here pretty soon. And uh, we've been giving away Exo Tour tickets to you all day long. We're going to be giving away some more. So please stick around. We love having you a part of this. And uh, yeah, we've got some questions that have come in from Facebook. Let's answer those real quick. Um, I am reading them as I'm ha- I have not screened these. Uh, <laughs> so if I say something that's... The marriage expert, yeah. Brenton Evans. And so this first question is from Jim and Amy Smith, who just won some EXO tour tickets. Uh, congratulations, guys. Doing the Indestructible Marriage small group now on week three, what's your best communication tip? Mm-hmm. And uh, we kind of have some different seasons of marriage. Uh, we can all kind of speak into this. Uh, I've been married for 20 years now. Caitlin's been married for six. Six. Mm-hmm. And Ashley's just about to get married. So she's in the Two dating she's about, mm-hmm. Yeah, she's in the dating season. Mm-hmm. And so for, before I answer, um, I would love to hear from y'all both mm-hmm. about just now, especially to start with you, Ashley, mm-hmm. have y'all started down any sort of communication pitfalls? Mm-hmm. Y'all, haven't even, y'all are still in the no! pre-honeymoon phase. Yes. Y'all are still lovey-dovey. Like, so to- lovey-dovey slash we're both so like literal and get to the point of things. So I think for us, conversations about expectations, like, you know, I thought you'd be happy to go to this party with me and my friends and like, you seem like you were in a bad mood. Well, I didn't know it was going to be that I needed to meet everyone and you were expecting me to kind of help host this event. That's a small example, but I think being able to talk about things before we get places is a huge thing for us. Or even to say, when you talk to me this way, this is actually how I feel. 
and I realized that that's not your intention, but it seemed harsh to me or that you were annoyed with me or, you know, whatever the answer is, but being able to be vulnerable and talk about how you actually feel about mm-hmm. that, which I think vulnerability is the key. I tell him all the time. I'm like, I must really love you because I would never tell someone <laughs> when I'm mad at them, but like, mm-hmm. I can't help but tell you because I don't want to be in a bad place with you and I want to be able to move through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, their intentions, they're not trying to hurt you or, um, you know, whatever, but being able to push through that has been a huge key for us mm-hmm. to be able to continue to have hard conversations and uh, move past stuff. Yeah. What about you, Caitlin? For us, so much, and Jimmy talks about this a ton when he talks about communication, but just that tone matters so much more than even what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Especially um, for me, I'm quicker with my words and can be, I have the ability and the creativity to be more biting with my words. And especially with my tone, I'm expressive and all that. Mm-hmm. So just learning. Um, that so much is, is is received and taken in better when your tone communicates love yeah. and just not being accusatory mm-hmm. and making Assume it more about like, I feel like when you said this, it made me feel like this instead mm-hmm. of you're this way, you know, mm-hmm. taking those accusatory statements and turning them towards when this happened, I felt this way. Mm-hmm. And it just softens the situation in the conversation. But just watching tone and watching those or those um you know, all encompassing statements like you always do this or you never do that. Mm-hmm. Just being careful about your words. It's not true. They don't always do that. But when you do that, it makes me feel this way. Mm-hmm. So talking to each other in that way uh, has helped our relationship a lot. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, communication is definitely an uh, integral part of relationship health. And we see all the time in marriage today, people are struggling in how to talk to their spouse. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you have a, a man or a woman who doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. And so their silence creates mm-hmm. this vacuum that another spouse just feels starved for communication mm-hmm. it can really i mean you don't realize how bad it can get when you're not getting communicated to yeah but when you're living in an environment where nobody's no there's one-sided there's mm-hmm. not hey how was your day honey and then you get nothing mm-hmm. you get fine and then they just go off and they just are silent for the rest of the night they give you one word answers the headlines you don't feel like you can really connect with that person mm-hmm. that causes a lot of stress mm-hmm. and then you have the flip side of that where people are volatile mm-hmm. and they can use their words to beat you down they verbally assault you with their, you know, their mouse mm-hmm. and they just continually keep you pushed down because they want to control the relationship. Mm-hmm. And we see both sides here. So dominance on one side or, or just completely uh, vacating the communication side. Yeah. I believe one of my f- favorite teachings my dad does is on empathy mm-hmm. related to, um, to communication. And I, I do feel like that's one of the best tips out there. And that is, what is it like to have a conversation with you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, put yourself in the, somebody else's shoes. And that's helped me out personally because sometimes I, th- I think, what do I sound like right now? Yeah. And so many times Stephanie says, I can't even get a word in. And I think about, yeah, I've been talking the whole time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and would uh, that make you want to change your behavior? Or, mm-hmm. or, yeah. Or even to be. It didn't me. I mean, I want yeah. to, I don't want to be a jerk and I don't want to come across that way. I don't want to come across as, you know, um, needing to have the last word, mm-hmm. needing to be right all the time. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. men a lot of times want to, at least in my case, I want to talk things to death and I want to make sure that I, like almost like a lawyer, mm-hmm. bring all the facts, mm-hmm. have everything laid out. This is what happened. So I'm very detailed in the way I communicate about things that I'm passionate about in communication. And I think for Stephanie, sometimes she just, she just doesn't want to hear all that. Mm-hmm. She just wants to share her side, mm-hmm. me to be able to share my side, and let's resolve it. Let's sometimes, on. yeah, I, I kind of go. So, yes, I have learned from my father mm-hmm. on how to have empathy in relationship communications. So great great question there, uh, Amy. And uh, congratulations again on winning this conference tickets. And thanks for doing our resources. Indestructible is one of our favorite teachings. Mm-hmm. That's an awesome, awesome DVD series that's available on marriagetoday.com backslash store. 
So uh, this is a great question. Um, I really love watching and listening and learning so much. However, it is super difficult for my husband to join in any ideas. And that's a great question. Um, it does sometimes uh, kind of look like one spouse wants to try versus the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, our materials really are geared to be both friendly for men and women. Mm-hmm. But I do understand that a majority of women are the ones that want to work on the relationship. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they have a struggle getting their husbands mm-hmm. to listen. Yeah. And you guys can speak from the perspective of y'all's husbands and future husbands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say my encouragement to you is to make it very easy for him to listen. Mm-hmm. So not shoving in his face or not uh, you know, putting it on and, and being like, this is homework for you. You better listen to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, you've got you've to take this in. What we found is sometimes just playing it in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad's content, his voice, is very uh, disarming. He has the ability to talk and kind of... He's so anointed to speak to both the man and the woman and like mm-hmm. relate so well right. that many speakers don't have. So sneak up on him. So mm-hmm. if he's if he's not willing to watch it, just playing in the background, playing it in the car, playing it in environments where he can listen to I, I strongly encourage you to play my dad's sessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just talked about the indestructible marriage. Mm-hmm. My dad's very open and honest and transparent about his own struggles. And that, again, can make men feel like mm-hmm. they can relate to him. Sure. And so the ability to do that is great. But you guys mm-hmm. talk about that. I was going to say the same thing. If he has a long commute mm-hmm. and he normally listens to something in the car, you know, gently offer mm-hmm. it up to listen to on the commute. Or if it's normally, if you guys go somewhere or take a drive, put it on when you're both in the car and can talk about it. Or um, for us, even for me, um, just being the initiator mm-hmm. in love without even, even if he won't listen to it at all, but just saying, hey, I was listening to this start a conversation about one topic that you heard that you liked and see if he'll engage with you about that one thing. Um, maybe he won't have, you know, the ability to sit down and watch a whole DVD or listen to a whole CD, but maybe he'll engage you with that one point. And then as you love him and pray for him and he sees the change in you, it initiates the desire to change in him. Sometimes it just starts with doing it ourselves. Mm-hmm. We literally got uh, feedback from our conferences mm-hmm. this year that we've had so far, the exact same thing. The men were kind of coming begrudgingly Mm-hmm. And they were just completely changed by the end of the conference, loving it, had a great time. Because in their mm-hmm. minds, they have this preconceived notion We're about what's going to be. We're not going to beat them over the top of the head and say you're horrible. No. We're going to say there's hope and like it's understandable what you're going through and you can get past this. And the thing is, men want more from their wife. They want their needs met in certain ways. And I would say that you know, from an intimacy perspective and other things like that, they want those things. Mm-hmm. But then there's this, not, they're not willing to sort of invest into getting those things. And so I think they'd be surprised at how much better they would feel about the relationship if they just invested in that. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying to listen to it just so you can get mm-hmm. more sex or whatever. I'm just saying, like, mm-hmm. if, if there's an environment where he knows that he's going to have an easier time communicating with his spouse and, mm-hmm. and that she's going to open up and the relationship's going to be more, better, and it's not going to require a whole lot except for just to, to listen and learn, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like that can be conducive. But mm-hmm. um, I think Caitlin has a good point, too. Like, in messages saying like, hey, did you, I was listening to the series or I was listening to this and it so like pinpointed on some things that I'm doing, you know, like maybe the Lord convicted you or whatever and put it on you to say like, this really changed me personally. Would you check it out? And then you're not putting the finger on them like, hey, you need to learn this. Yeah, without uh, the elbow of like, yes. hey, this is for you. Act like you've listened to it for yourself. Which you, you have and change your heart yeah. so that you can, just like you were saying, like ask the Lord to change you first. Uh, and I think once you have that open heart of being able to say, this is what God's speaking to me, would you check it out? Your spouse is going to be interested in that and that's going to open up a door. And I really do believe that, you know, that's why we have these uh, we're active on Facebook and we have YouTube and uh, all the different mediums is so that you can share short information to people and it's going to uh, stir up their taste buds for more information. Yeah. 
it's good. Uh, great answers, and I hope that helps you you out there. Um, we have another great question coming in from Brittany. Uh, my husband is a preacher, a teacher, and a coach. I'm a preacher's wife, a principal, and a school board member. How, wow. do, my, how do my husband and I keep us Power right couple. under God when we always put so many people before each other? Burnout is closing in. Mm-hmm. I can feel it. And we have three children, 13, mm-hmm. 11, and 7. It's mm-hmm. a lot going on. It's a lot going on. Great question and uh, very common. Mm-hmm. And especially when you have a dual uh, profession household where you're both giving so much, it's hard to keep your marriage at the top. And so mm-hmm. I would say that it, uh, this is not going to be an easy answer. And I've heard my dad say this many times. And that is, in order to put your marriage priority, you're going to have to make it a priority. Mm-hmm. And that might mean changing some of what you're doing. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, God blesses faith and God blesses doing things that are sometimes difficult. And so either talking to bosses or talking to people and reducing the amount of things that you're doing or committing yourself to. Uh, three kids, I have three kids and um, people who have three kids understand, mm-hmm. you know, and you have twins and, and it's just, I mean, just the stress of their lives and managing their lives. And then you're going and managing people that you work with in their lives if you manage people. And then you have to come home and go, hi, how are you, honey? And right. let's spend some time together and let's give each other something. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's definitely not your best. And so uh, I do encourage you to sit down with your husband mm-hmm. and you'll have a, a really deep conversation. Mm-hmm. Don't have kids around. Don't have distractions. Mm-hmm. Go somewhere. Even if you can get a babysitter for a night and go to a hotel and have some good Vision conversations. Retreat would be great. Vision retreat would be great. Mm-hmm. And I know it's a challenge for some people to get away for that long, but just spend some time and talk about some hard things like, What's the most important to us? What do we want to see? And if career paths are important for one or the other, Mm -hmm. I just talked to a woman yesterday who's um, taking on the responsibility of being the sole provider so her husband can go to law school. And sometimes you have to have that conversation. There's grace in certain seasons for certain things. Mm -hmm. But if you are having constant stress, burnout is real. Mm -hmm. It happens. Some of the worst um, outcomes come in the seasons of burnout, uh, especially in in Mm pastors' lives because ministry is difficult. It's so hard. So hard. And you feel like you have to have such a private face of what that looks like because the public is looking at you. But I think so many people can learn from saying like, hey, this is hard, but we're committed to no matter what, working through that and prioritizing our marriage. And we're going to put our family and our marriage first before everything else in a relationship with God. And especially with him as a pastor, delegating, Jimmy talks about it, pastor school, the the responsibility on preachers is immense. Mm -hmm. So if there's and preachers' wives, yes, mm-hmm. it just it's it's insane. If there's any ability to delegate to to lay people or to other people in the church, that helps so much. Yeah, it doesn't have to be forever, but maybe for a season of time, you, you you reduce the amount of workload that you have, and it may not be possible. But some churches allow for sabbatical, mm-hmm. so asking the elders or the church to kind of take on some of the load so y'all can get away for a while to recoup. Again, if you if you go for too long and burnout, you don't have anything left to give. And that's when bad things happen. It's like running a car with no oil. You know, you can run for a while, but then things start to fall apart. And uh, you can only do it for so long. So I encourage you just to have those hard conversations about what's the most important to you. Uh, keeping God first, your marriage second. And then your kids, of course, are, are part of that in, in the third position. And people have a hard time even with that, saying mm-hmm. that. But that's, that's the way God blesses that order. And your careers are down the path. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if, if those ever compete with that order... It's going to cause chaos, and so please do have that conversation. I would encourage y'all to take a vision retreat. Hey, we'll reach out to you. We'll send you our vision retreat journal, and we would love to y'all take advantage of that. And good job for even acknowledging that, hey, like something's out of order, and like we're on the brink here, and just use that instead of a scary thing that's going to happen. Like, hey, Lord, okay, we need to make some adjustments and lean in and figure this out because yeah. it's worth it. Yeah, the first, the first step is to, to recognize there's an issue mm-hmm. there. 
and to uh, get in front of it and not allow it to go on forever and ever. Okay, we'll do one more question, then we'll close off. Um, I am reading these as we do. Thanks, Facebook, for the questions. We had some great ones today. Um, how long did any of y'all wait till your spouse was fully all the way in on serving the Lord? Any encouraging words would be helpful. Thanks. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of people have uh, an experience with God, maybe before they're mm-hmm. the person they fall in love with. Mm-hmm. And uh, for my wife and I, I was not living for God, and it was kind of her sort of her ultimatum to me that I was out partying one night, and the next day I was coming over, and I was kind of almost to some degree bragging about mm-hmm. the party I'd gone to and all this kind of stuff. And she says, you know, that doesn't impress me, right? She's mm-hmm. like, in fact, I'm never going to date you until you get your mm-hmm. act cleaned up. Yeah. And I was like, are you serious? Because we were friends at the time. She's like, yeah, it doesn't impress me. I don't like it. I don't like that lifestyle. She said, I'm not for that. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. I might have to get a few things ready. And so I think being, I think being um, upfront about how important God is in your life mm-hmm. and not allowing your spouse to uh, constantly intrude the spiritual atmosphere of your home. I mean, you're going to have to protect that and keep that without making it. One of the, the worst things you can do is browbeat him and Bible thump, you know, him to death to where he just feels like he can't breathe without hearing about Jesus. And you can be oversaved. That is a whole comedic bit. Well, and your mom, Karen Evans, she has a whole book about how she essentially was the only one really, I mean, it, it has to do with her marriage. Jimmy was following the Lord, but she has a good perspective on how to lean in on behalf of your husband before mm-hmm. his behavior or what he's doing lines up with what you believe. And she has a really good example and a good testimony of what it's like to press in and believe for your husband. That's good. Um, well, yeah, that's great. Craig so, also has a good point in one of his messages that he gave at XO. And he was saying, you know, women sometimes can have this idea of like, you're not my spiritual leader. So, you know, like there's something wrong with that. And either we can't get married or be completely disappointed and angry at your husband. And he was just saying to encourage your husband anytime that they're leaning in towards the Lord. So if it's like, hey, babe, will you please pray for the meal? And you're like... That was the best prayer I've ever heard. That was so good. And keep reinforcing that. He went a little bit bit deeper into that. He's like, put your tongue in his ear and go, that was, anytime you pray like that. (laughs) His wife was sitting next to me and she was like, it's too far. It's too far. I don't want that. But anyways, encouraging that behavior versus, you know, saying what you're not, speaking into him, uh, what you see in him and what God has. It's so true. And it brings life to men when they're honored like that. And Pastor Robert Morris, our pastor at Gateway, uh, he was talking about that one time and he told women, you know, just the little things. Uh, you and the kids just celebrate the little things your husband does, right? Like, mm-hmm. look, everybody, Dad got up today. He yes. got up. Oh, good job, Dad. He took a like, shower. <laughs> took a shower. <laughs> little things, and that's a uh, little bit over the top. But, I mean, little things make men feel proud, especially when it comes to spiritual stuff because mm-hmm. we feel so vulnerable mm-hmm. when we're sharing our heart, when we're praying. Most men aren't comfortable with that and talking about spiritual things. He can become a on-fire man for God really easily. God can capture his heart, but you can pl- play a huge part in that. And I don't want to be like Oprah today and just give away things, but we will give away um, my mom's new book. And from Pain from, to Paradise. From Pain to Paradise, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll reach out to you for that. I think it really will help you. And so you get a book. You get a book. <laughs> hey, um, that's awesome. Thanks, Facebook, for joining us. We love having you be part of these. And also, we'll be in Jacksonville this week, so if you're in the area, come see us. Go to exomarriage.com, and you can check it out. Also, go on and always give us a good rating, five stars if you can, on the podcast. We love to hear from you. Write the reviews. And uh, we can uh, always get more and more people excited about it whenever you guys get excited about it. So we want you to spread the word. About Share what with we're your doing family here. and friends. Yeah, about the EXO Tour, about the EXO Podcast, everything we're doing. We'd love to see you live. Come see us, and we'll see you next time.